0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. Quick word for you. I hope you got one of these pieces of paper when you walked in. You will need one of these and a writing utensil. Every person in the room needs one of these. If you did not get one, go ahead and raise your hand. If you need a writing utensil, also raise your hand. We've got some people walking the aisles. We have enough for you. Everybody in here needs one of these. Keep your hand held high, and we'll make sure we hit you up and get you one as we move along. Um, The date was June 5th, 1944, and most of Europe had already fallen to the devastating Nazi advance. Belgium, Poland, France had fallen. Britain was hanging on by the thread. It seemed like there was not much left standing between Adolf Hitler and total world domination. And so on June 5th, 1944, the fate of the civilized world hung in the balance. And at 9.30 p.m. on June the 5th, the 101st Airborne took off from Great Britain, flew across the English Channel, and those paratroopers jumped out of those planes, and they were the tip of the spear, the very first soldiers to land in France on D-Day, this great mission to take back France from under Nazi control. Two of those paratroopers who jumped that evening were Robert Wright and Kenneth Moore. Both of them were medics, and like so many of those paratroopers, as soon as they jumped, they immediately immediately lost all of their gear. They got blown off course. They managed to land, but they didn't know where they had landed. They managed to band together with a few other paratroopers, and they found that they were in the little village of Angoville, France. Now, this little band of soldiers, it didn't take them very long before they bumped into some Germans. Some fighting ensues, and as the fighting goes on and gets more intense, Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright, their medics, they decide they need to set up an aid station. And so they happen to find this one little one-room church building. It's 900 years old stone building, but they decide they're going to turn that into an aid station. They hang the red cross on the door of the church to let both sides know, hey, medics here, don't shoot, and then they set out with a wheelbarrow to go find wounded people from the fight and to bring them in. As the fighting continues and the casualties begin to mount, the church starts to fill up. And every time they'd bring a wounded soldier in, they'd lay him out on one of the pews and they kind of had an order to it. The more serious the injury was, the closer they would lay that soldier to the altar. And as the night wears on, the fighting continues. Soon they have 80 people in the church, soldiers from both sides, allies and Nazis, having their wounds attended to. At one point during the night, a mortar round crashes through the roof. Everybody freezes. This thing hits the floor so hard it leaves a crack in the stone floor, but miraculously, the mortar round does not go off, it's a dud, so they pick it up, they throw it outside. Later on, in the middle of the night, three German soldiers come bursting through the door of the church, their rifles raised, but when they see what's going on, that Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright are caring for soldiers of both sides, they lower their weapons and they leave and they say they promise to send help as soon as they can." This goes on for 36 hours. 36 hours later, the fight moves on, and, and so do um, Kenneth Moore and Robert Wright. Later on, after the war, they would both receive the Silver Star for their efforts that night. They saved 80 lives in that little church building. And after the war was over, you know, Europe is rebuilding, France is rebuilding, and and this little village of Angoville, France decides it's time to rebuild, repair all these buildings that have been knocked down in the fight, and they start to repair this church building. You know, they fixed the hole in the roof from the mortar round, and they put up new windows from the stained glass that had been shattered, but they made one crucial decision in the renovation process that absolutely floored me. Today, if you go to that little village of Angoville, France, and you walk through that one room, stone, 900 year old church building, you can still see blood on the pews. Now, you know they were caring for a lot of people that night. The church building had gotten pretty messy. And if I was in charge of the restoration process, I'd have washed the pews. <laughs> I'd have sanded them down, refinished them maybe. Like, if you need to, like, let's just buy some new pews. And yet, this church said, no, this building was built 900 years ago to be a place of healing and restoration for broken and hurting people, and on D-Day, this church lived out its mission. And so we will preserve the blood-stained pews as a reminder of what happened here that no matter your nationality or your ethnicity, no matter your uniform or your rank, no matter who you shot or who shot you, you can find hope and healing in this church, this church of blood-stained pews. Now I wanna be a church of blood-stained pews, don't you? Because we follow a Jesus who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll, I'll give you rest. We follow a Jesus who said, man, if you're, if you're weak, if you're like a bruised reed, a bruised reed I will not break. If you've got nothing left, if you're like a smoldering wick, he said, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. He said, I, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to go after the people who didn't know they needed help. He said, it's not the healthy people who need a sick, or the, the doctor, it's, it's the sick. And so we are going to be a church of blood-stained pews so that if this morning, I don't know where you are today, but if if you're worn out, if you're barely dragging in here, if if you're bleeding, this is the place for you. Um, We're gonna do something a little bit different this morning, we're gonna do a little bit of an exercise with this piece of paper that you got when you walked in. And uh, in just a minute, I'm gonna walk down through seven questions. And with each of those questions, if they apply to you, if you say, yes, that's me, if the answer is yes, I want you to just put a check in that box. If the answer is no, you can leave the box blank. Now, I'm Let's call, you know, let's just be real honest here this morning because I know there's a lot of you in the room who don't typically do like the things the preacher asks you to do in the church service. I get that. I live in real life too, okay? I'm going to ask everybody to participate today, though, because I just need you to trust me that the more of you who participate, the more powerfully God can use this in our midst later on here in the service. I also know that as we walk down, these are like hard questions. And so some of y'all are going to be like doing the crouch in the cover because you don't want your neighbor to see the answers to your questions. I get that. That's totally fine. If you do me a favor, Though, and if out of your peripherals you can tell that your neighbor is not participating in the exercise, would you mind giving him the stink eye on my behalf? (laughs) We'll just practice some communal accountability today. That'd be great, thank you. All right, here we go. Brutally honest, brutally honest, leave them anonymous. Don't write your names on them. Question number one. Do you struggle with depression, fear, or anxiety? If you say yes, that's me, just put a check in the box. Question number two, do you have repeated unwanted feelings of anger or bitterness? If that's you, just check yes. Question number three, is there something you've done or something that's been done to you that still brings you shame? If you say yes, that's me, put a check in the box. Question number four, do you have a compulsive or harmful habit that you just can't seem to break? Question number five, are you lonely? Question number six, do you have any secrets? And question number seven, do you struggle to believe that God loves you, likes you, and wants what's best for you? If that's you, check the box. Now there's some people coming back down the aisles. Once you get finished, you can pass those into the middle and we are, or they'll pass the baskets around one or the other and uh, turn those in, we'll do something later on with them in the service. Thank you guys for being honest because I know those aren't easy questions. And my guess is that even as you were thinking through those questions, it probably brought back some memories, uh, probably brought some people, some pictures to your mind that maybe weren't pleasant to think about and reopened some old wounds. Maybe even answering those questions felt like bleeding. And for a lot of you, my guess is that when you're bleeding, the church is the last place you'd want to go. So let's just ask the question together this morning, why church? Why church? Now, I think if I rephrased that question and said, why not church, that would be a lot easier to answer, right? The world could answer that question. We could answer that question very easily. Why not church? I can think of a whole bunch of reasons. Number one, it's outdated. Church has kind of gotten this reputation that we're just this outdated relic of a bygone era, right? Question for you, when you think of that word outdated, what's the picture that comes to your mind? Maybe you think of outdated Technology. You've lived long enough to see technology change. We used to tell time with sundials, and now we have the Apple Watch, right? Uh, maybe you think of how we used to write with quill pens. Then we moved to typewriters, and now we have computers. We've seen outdated technology. We've moved from covered wagons and horses and buggies to cars, we've seen that happen. We've seen the old like crank phone to the rotary phone to the push-button phone to the iPhone. Some of you have lived long enough, you've seen that entire trajectory in your lifetime. That's amazing, right? Uh, in terms of entertainment, we've gone from VHS to DVD, all the way to YouTube. We've gone from storing data on the, on the cloud. If you wanna store data, now you store it on the cloud. Some of you remember though, you remember these floppy disks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, and some of you can remember in medieval times they used to store data on these, these yellow legal pads. <laughs> in the dark ages, some of you ancient folks. Um, we've seen encyclopedia turn into Wikipedia, right? We've seen a paper maps become Google Maps. We've seen dramatic changes. You've seen in music, you've seen records go to cassettes, go to CDs, which have gone to Spotify. You've seen all kinds of changes. Maybe though you don't think of technology, maybe you think of organizations and institutions when you think of outdated. Perhaps you remember how the Pony Express gave way to the Telegraph. I'm assuming none of you lived through that transition 150 years ago, but I won't go there, never mind. Um, <laughs> In organizations, you've seen Sears that was done in by Amazon, right? We've seen Blockbuster be done in by Netflix. We've seen lots of things happen in terms of outdated. Maybe, though, you don't think of technology or institutions. Maybe when you think outdated, you just think words. And so you open your thesaurus, and you look up outdated, and you see synonyms like archaic and no longer necessary and a relic of a bygone era. But for a lot of people, when they think of the word outdated, this is the picture that comes to their mind. They think of the church. Why not church? Well, church is outdated, obviously. That's from a different era. Maybe why not church, though? It's not just outdated. It's also inconvenient. That could be answer number two. Do you have your steel-toed boots on this morning? You care if I step on your toes? Okay, I'm really thankful for digital technology, for what it allows us to do. You have access to incredible content. We want to leverage that for discipleship, of course. I'm thankful for how it allowed us to stay connected during the pandemic. It allows you all to stay connected and in touch when you can't be here or when somebody's a first-time guest and they want to check out what it's like. That's beautiful. If you're watching online, that's awesome. But if we're also not careful, the great danger of digital technology is it can also allow us to just kind of, settle to a lower version of what we were called for and just kind of stay at home and do the church online, music online, sermon online with my coffee in my hand, just Jesus and me on the couch without any of the real relational, sacrificial, complicated, inconvenient messiness of the church. God designed church to be inconvenient on purpose And so why not church? It's outdated, it's inconvenient, but maybe the biggest reason is it's not just outdated and inconvenient. Why not church? Well, sometimes church is just hurtful, isn't it? Just hurts. We could look at the titles of some books that have been published in the last few years, and I'm not talking about books by non-Christian authors. I'm talking about Christian books with titles like this. They like Jesus, but not the church. Church, why bother? Life after church, quitting church, So you don't want to go to church anymore. Revolution, finding vibrant faith beyond the walls of the sanctuary. You're picking up on the theme, aren't you? That my guess is if those folks were bleeding, church is the last place they'd want to come. We want Jesus, but not the church. And I know that a lot of you have experienced really, really deep hurt from the church. That maybe in your story, church was the place that cut you, not the place that healed you. And we've heard thousands of these stories, haven't we, if we pay attention very much? And and my guess is that if we read those books that I just talked about and we listened to the stories of those authors, my guess is there'd be quite a bit of similarities in their stories. I certainly do not want to make light of anybody's pain, but just to illustrate the point about how hurtful the church can be and how similar a lot of these stories are, do y'all remember Mad Libs, those little exercises, right? It's like the story that's written with a bunch of blanks in it, and then you have to ask your partner, hey, give me an adjective, give me a verb, that kind of thing, and and then you read the story and ha 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 it's really funny with the random words well somebody wrote a mad lib about church hurt stories and how hurtful the church can be take a look at this um most of the stories sound something similar they sound like the institutional church is so disparaging object- adjective. when i go to church i feel completely negative emotion the leadership is totally adjective you'd use to describe richard nixon <laughs> <laughs> The services are, adjective you'd use to describe going to the dentist. <laughs> the music is, adjective you'd use to describe the singing on Barney. <laughs> and the whole congregation, the whole congregation, you guys, choose among passive, comatose, hypocritical, or Rush Limbaugh Republicans. <laughs> the whole thing makes me, blah, medical term. I had no choice but to leave the church. And we've heard these stories, haven't we? Why not church? That's an easy question to answer. It's outdated. It's inconvenient. It's just downright hurtful. And so in light of that, when we're living in a world that thinks that of the church, why church? I'd like to argue today that church is the community you were made for. That's why. Church is the community you were made for. Now, pause right there, because over the last couple weeks, we've been rolling out to you our new mission as a church that we drew from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so because we believe what Jesus says there, our mission as a church is to help you become fully alive in Jesus. That's what we want for you. We want you to be fully alive in Jesus. Whether you're hearing this for the very first time or whether you've been walking with the Lord for your whole life, whether you're nine years old or 99 years old, we want you to be fully alive in Jesus. And so it begs the question then, like what does that even mean? What does it mean to be fully alive in Jesus? It means three things. It means you're with Jesus, in community and on mission. If you're following Jesus at Plainfield Christian Church, whether you're a two year old or a 200 year old, we want you with Jesus in community and on mission. So we're talking about that. Last week we talked about being with Jesus, that we don't just want you to adopt a set of behaviors or adhere to a certain creed. We want you to know Jesus as a person. We want you to have a relationship with him. Because when Jesus makes us this promise in John chapter 10, he's using the metaphor of sheep and their shepherd. And so last week we said, hey, we we want you to know your shepherd's voice. We want you to trust your shepherd's heart. That's with Jesus. But we also want you in community because sheep need a flock. We follow Jesus together. That's what we're talking about today. Next week we're gonna talk about being on mission, that God made you for a purpose. He gave you gifts and resources and talents and relationships and abilities and all kinds of things that he wants you to leverage all of that so that you can accomplish the mission he's given you for his glory in all the earth. We want you to be fully alive in Jesus. Now, we're rolling out some tools to to help us on that journey of becoming fully alive together, so there's the new website. Hope you went and checked that out. The new logo and the t-shirts and the swag, and you'll see stuff around the the building and all that good stuff, but I hope you also got last week one of your fully alive journals. If you weren't here or if you didn't get one yet, we've got those on the tables out there. They're in the tables in the hub. Swing by and pick up one of these. These are for you wherever you are in your journey of faith. It's got some good activities so that you can think through, hey, what does it mean for me to be with Jesus and in community and on mission and then there's also a lot of this journal is just a template for you to use in your daily time with Jesus to help you build that habit of knowing his voice and spending time in his word and in prayer and, and listen if you don't have that habit in place in your life this is a great great place to start but even if you do this is designed to go along with whatever bible reading plan you have you can pick whatever scripts you want to read if you're reading through the bible in a year or you're following along with the sermon series you're spending five years in the book of hebrews or whatever we'd love for you to use this in conjunction with that to help you go deeper as we're on this journey together of becoming fully alive in him. Also though, if you do just want a Bible reading plan to be told and not have to think about it, we have some print plans available for you on those tables by these journals, but also if you just scan the QR code in the journal, it'll give you access to that Bible reading plan as well. All of this is just so we can take Jesus at his word in John chapter 10 and experience this life to the full that he has promised for us. So, if being fully alive means being in community, then the church is the community that we were made for, right? Um, Right here in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. He says, we're sheep. And last week, you saw in that video of my brother Carl and his little lamb, sheep aren't leaders. They're followers. We follow the shepherd. Jesus says this in verse 27. He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are you following the shepherd? And we follow him not as individual sheep, but as a flock, together, knowing his voice, trusting his heart, in community. Because Christianity has always been a team sport. You might remember way back in the very beginning, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God makes the whole world, and when he does, he says, it is, okay, just checking to see if you're with me. Let's try that again. God said, it is good, right? He said, it's good. Everything's good. But do you know what the very first not good thing in all the world was? Take a look at this, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Loneliness was the first not good thing in the world. So God makes Eve so that Adam can be in community. But God wants everyone to be in community. Sin brings separation. God brings community. And so God calls this man named Abram. And he says, Abram, you don't have one, but I'm gonna give you a family and I'm gonna make your family great and they're gonna be a great nation and I'm gonna use you to bless the whole world so that everyone can become part of my people. And they become the nation of Israel and God uses the nation of Israel to bring Jesus so that now all of us can be a part of the people of God becoming fully alive in community. That means that this is your flock. So that begs the question then, if church is the community you were made for, what is The church, what is the church? What is this thing that we do together? Because the English word church appears about 75 times in your Bible and not once does it refer to a building. So what is this community that you've been invited into? For our purposes today, uh, we could say a whole lot more, but the church is five major things, the Bible says. Number one, we are the people of God. Peter says this, this is who you are, this is who we are. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you have a special possession? You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter goes on, he says, but you were not a people once, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God. That means that fundamentally we are not a social club, we are not a humanitarian society or a daycare or or a concert or a civic improvement board or a friend group. All of those things are fine and good, but church is fundamentally different. You know, we partner with a ton of different groups and organizations, and sometimes when we're talking with other groups, they'll be like, well, we're just the same, really, we just wanna help people. And I know what they mean, and yes, of course, we wanna help people, but as the church, our primary objective is not helping people. Our primary objective is following God, and it's because we love God that we love people. We are, first and foremost, the people of God. Secondly, scripture says, we are the family of God. Ephesians chapter one, Paul says it like this. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That means that before God ever even made the world, he already planned that anybody who followed him would be adopted into his family. So, All of us in this room had imperfect fathers. You may have had an awful father. But when you're in the family of God, when you get adopted into his family, now you have a perfect father, and you are his son, and you are his daughter, and that also means that we are brothers and sisters in a very real sense. We're family in here, guys. And and that comes with some implications because just like any family, that means I can't promise you much, but if you stick around here, I promise you I will disappoint you I promise you I will hurt you. I promise you that we will let you down, that you will become annoyed and disillusioned by this place at some point. That's about as much as I can promise you. Just like every family, right? But the thing that makes a family a family is that when that moment happens and disappointment and disillusionment comes, that's when true love kicks in because you choose to love and stick around anyway. We're the family of God. Third thing scripture says is that you are the temple Of the Holy Spirit. That means that you and I don't have to go to a building to be with God. God lives in us. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Like, do you know that? That God's Spirit dwells in your midst. I know you believe that. But do you believe that? Can you imagine how we would live if we actually believed that, if we woke up every morning and thought, ah, I am where God lives. (laughs) And we went about our day thinking, we are where the Holy Spirit resides in the world today. Wow, like how would that change our lives? One, One author writes about how that shaped the way the early followers of Jesus lived. He said, those early Christians They had no degrees from the best universities. They'd been on no MBA management courses, gone through no psychological Myers-Briggs compatibility profiles. They had no financial investment portfolios. But they had a revelation of God, a revelation of their inheritance in Christ and Holy Spirit power from on high. And with this, God took 120 people and shook the world. You are the temple of God. Of the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing scripture says is that we are the body of Christ. That Jesus actually has a real flesh and blood body in the world today, and it's you and me. He's the head, and the head tells the body parts what to do. We are the parts of the body. And you guys know this from experience. Like it doesn't really feel too good to the whole body when one part of your body ain't working very well. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 12. He says this: He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members. And these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're the body of Christ. Now, I've talked about this before, but I grew up working on the farm, kind of wanted to do ag stuff with my life before God called me into ministry. And when I was a teenager, I remember one day I was working with my Uncle Mike, and Uh, something happened, a piece of machinery malfunctioned, and Mike got his finger cut off right in front of me, just lopped it right off. I will spare you all the gory details, right? But let me use that to launch us into a hypothetical, silly question. Um, Is that finger laying there on the ground part of Mike's body? I mean, I guess yeah, in a way, maybe, because it's still technically belongs to him, right? <laughs> but, let's ask a better question. Is that finger performing the function that it was designed to perform? No. And the whole body is suffering because of it. And also, how long do you think that finger is gonna last there on the ground on its own, disconnected from the rest of the body? I'm gonna stop with this gory illustration now. Do you get the point where I'm going? Do I have to beat this horse any longer? If you're gonna be fully alive, you have to be in community. We are the body of Christ. And here's the fifth thing. Scripture says we are the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul's going on and on about the beauty and the mystery of marriage between a husband and a wife. And then he says that actually the point of every earthly marriage is to point to the ultimate marriage between Christ and his church. That we are the bride of Christ. Now, The church is messy isn't it we've already established this you might think the church is outdated irrelevant inconvenient and downright hurtful and annoying but if we are the bride of christ how do you think that sounds to jesus's ears to say hey jesus we like you but your bride's a mess you seen that wart on her face Like Jesus, we we love to be with you, but your wife, she is ugly, she's annoying. I cannot stand to be around her. Can you and I go hang out without her around? I'm not Jesus, but I know how well that would go over if you said that to me about my wife. And Jesus loves his bride. I can remember when it first clicked for me because I grew up in church seeing the same old people in the same old building week after week after week, and it was fine, but I didn't really get it, you know, until I was at my first ministry, Sheldon Christian Church in Sheldon, Missouri. Sheldon's a little farm town of about 500 people, and there's three main business establishments in Sheldon, Missouri. There's Jones Boots, the boots store, there's Chiggers, the convenience store, and Chuggers, the bar. (laughs) Sheldon was awesome, that's about all you need to know. (laughs) And it's Sheldon Christian Church, little white church building with a little white steeple, red carpet, pews, white baby grand piano on the stage. And every Sunday morning, 50 of God's best people gathering for worship, just the salt of the earth. And when I close my eyes, I can still see them. Every Sunday, me standing up there in the pulpit, and I'd look out and there's Dorothy sitting in the back and she's got a hot temper. And if you listen close enough, you can hear her cussing under her breath every Sunday morning in church. (laughs) And over there, there's Jean and Eileen, true blue Democrats, sitting next to Eddie and Jeannie, blood red Republicans. And over here, there's Carrie and Lynn, simple cattle farmers, and there's John and Shiloh, they own the little shop down there on the square. And to my right is Helen, who plays the organ, And every single week, she still types up the bulletins on her typewriter at home. (laughs) And sitting on the very back pew is her husband, Laverne. And Laverne had a stroke a few years ago. He hasn't been the same since. He doesn't know right from left anymore, but he still knows the words to those old songs. And he's sitting next to his great-grandson on the pew. And up here, there's Titus, the high school kid, and somebody really needs to tell him to start wearing deodorant. And I remember standing up there being a little disillusioned every week looking out at these people and thinking, Jesus, really? Like you had your pick of the litter and you chose this. Is this really the bride that you died for? And then one day the Holy Spirit just hit me upside the head with a two by four and he said, yes, Yes, I made this. These are my people. I died to create this people. This is my bride, the woman that I love. Church is the community that you were made for. Now, I know it's hard to put Meet on these bones and figure out, okay, what does this actually look like to be with Jesus and in community in real life? And so for the last couple weeks, we've been hearing the story of one of your sisters here at Plainfield Christian Church, a dear friend of mine, her name's Soraya. And last week, we heard part one of Saraya's story about her becoming fully alive with Jesus. If you didn't see that video, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's posted online. But today, we get to hear part two of Soraya's story of her becoming fully alive here in community. Check this out.
1: I remember walking in and looking around thinking what what am i doing here this is this is all wrong and this really kind lady said oh are you new here and i blurted out yes And i don't know if i'm ever coming back i don't know why i said it i was just so nervous and she extended so much kindness she said you that's okay you don't need to figure that out today i'm just glad you're here and i was like okay so i'm like i have this she wants to play at the treehouse, and she said well let's go back there and i was looking for a way out in every way possible i said well i don't know that she really can because she's a foster child and you know d and she said that's okay they have background checks and i'm like shoot that didn't work so we got her back there and i said do you want me to stay no go she didn't want me to stay the greeter said well you know let me take you let me take you to the." Um, sanctuary and I thought well, I can't she's walking me right to the door and I was like oh no and they hand me pressure and I was like what am I doing here and I sat in the back row and then I met one of the ministers here who happened to be sitting three seats and he said I don't think I've seen you before and I thought how could you know that with this big of a church and then we started talking he said I'd love to meet our senior pastor. I remember him walking to me, and I thought, "Oh, great! Three strikes, male, old. I mean, just so many things going through my head." And that was my first experience. And I thought, "I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back." And. Um, it, it, was, it was Steve, and he hands me this card, and as I'm leaving, I'm looking for a trash can. I, I couldn't find a trash can, I just needed to get out, and, and I stuck the card in the cup holder, because I couldn't find a trash can to drop that card off. And then it was really neat. Um, something came up in that class that my foster daughter was in. They were doing some kind of activity, and they needed parent consent or something. I don't even remember what it was. And the DCS worker called me and said, you know, you can say yes to these things. You're the foster mom, and I'm thinking, no, oh, no, please tell me no. And I was like, did I throw that old man's card away? And I, I was like, it's in the car, let me get it out. And I emailed him and I was like, you probably don't remember me, you just met me. And he responded within 15 minutes to my email and said, yes, I absolutely remember you. Yes, I can help you, do you wanna come in? So I came in and I sat in his office and I was like, Let's just get this done so I can get out of here. And it ended up being a three year journey of meeting with him regularly, receiving pastoral counseling, and just really, really walking out some hard things with me and helping me see light. I think there is such comfort in having a community because they get it. They get the hard times. I don't mean that they understand everybody's situation, but they, they understand light, I guess, and they understand hope. They really walk things out with you, they don't give up on you. I have grown so much through watching my dear friend Jean watching how she lives her life and how she handles situation and how she always turns to God and and just other friends, friends that I've met through PCC, friends that I work with that are believers. I mean, we're meant to be in community. I mean, clearly when I had no community, I didn't do too well. (laughs) I made some really bad choices. There's accountability. I don't love it. I don't always like it. When they're like, let's look at you. I'm like, I don't want to. But at the end of the day, that's what I need. That's what real community is. Walking it that with you during the good, during the bad, and holding you accountable.
0: And I love that, don't you? Church is the community you were made for. Now, here walking down the aisles, they're gonna be passing out those cards again. You're gonna get a different card, somebody else's card, it's not yours. Just hang on to that here for just a moment and we'll use it later on. Um, so we've got blood on the pews here, and we want every single person to find the healing and the hope and the belonging that Sariah found. So wherever you are today, if you're feeling a nudge, like, man, I just, I need to get more involved. I, I need people in my life, I need God's people in my life. If you are brand new here and you're ready to take a step and you wanna find out more, or maybe you've been here for a while and you just kind of been orbiting around the edges but you haven't really taken that step into the middle to say, yeah, I'm gonna be all in and I'm gonna make this place my home and my family, we would love to have you do that. The best first step for you to take to get involved in the community that God made you for would be to come to our starting point. It's gonna start on December the 3rd. It's just a three week class to help walk you through who we are and what's here in store for you, following Jesus with him in community, and on mission here at Plainfield Christian Church. We'd love to get connected with you in that way. Uh, you can find out more about Starting Point or sign up at the uh, desk out there in the lobby or Billy Haskins, our group minister, is out in the hub all day today. You can sign up there. Or the easiest way to do is just scan that QR code in front of you and that'll take you right to the Starting Point signups. And we love to see you there because this is the community that you were made for. But I know what's going on in the back of some of your minds right now because the problem is that for some of you, that story is not your experience with church and you hear Soraya's story and you think hey great that's awesome for her but that's not sure how that's not how i've been treated and rightly or wrongly yeah the church right now in the world has a reputation for being hypocritical and judgmental and repressive and irrelevant and inconvenient and deeply deeply hurtful and so maybe the question in your mind right now is yeah but am I really safe here? What would happen if they really knew how messed up I was? And so I think one of the lies the enemy wants to get you to believe is not necessarily the lie that you're not broken, because you know you're broken, right? A lot of the time, the lie the enemy wants you to believe is that you're the only one who's broken. And that you're the only one who's like that. That you're the only mom who loses her cool and yells at her kids. And you're the only husband who's been unfaithful. And you're the only grandfather who drinks to forget. And you're the only one who's felt that and been addicted to that and been tempted by that. You're the only one who feels that and has that story that nobody has failed as deeply as you have. And if you believe that lie, if you think that you're the only one, then you'll still come here, but you'll keep your mask on and it will keep you from being fully alive in community like Jesus made you for. And so just to show you today that this is a church where there's blood on the pews, I want you to take that paper that you've received and we're gonna walk back through those seven questions. And as we do, if that person on the paper that you have has checked, yes, that's me, I want you to stand up. Question number one, do you struggle with depression, fear, or anxiety? If they checked yes, would you stand? Hey, look around church, you can have a seat. Question number two, do you have repeated unwanted feelings of anger or bitterness? If they check that box, would you stand up? Thank you. Question number three, is there something you've done or that's been done to you that still brings you shame? If they checked that box, would you stand? Yeah, yeah. Question number four Do you have a compulsive or harmful habit that you just can't seem to break? If they said yeah, would you stand? Thank you. Question number five Are you lonely? Thank you. Question number six Do you have any secrets? Would you stand? Question number seven, do you struggle to believe that God loves you, likes you, and wants what's best for you? If they said yeah, would you stand up? Thank you. You can have a seat. Hey, some of you owe me a thank you note because you burned a lot of calories just then and that's the best workout you're gonna get all month. So you're welcome. look at me. If you think you're the only one, you're not. And if you wonder if God really loves you, he does. And if you think that church is just for perfect people, it isn't. And if you wonder if the grace of God could possibly be for you, it is. And if you wonder where you could belong, right here, because we've got blood on the pews. And here's the point, you and I, we are broken. Like, we are so, so, so broken, and we come into this place every single week, dragging in here, bleeding, hurting, barely making it. We're more wounded than we could possibly imagine. We don't even know how broken we are. But this right here, this is the church of Jesus Christ, and he's a healer. So just so you don't misunderstand and walk out of here today with your head hanging, thinking, man, I'm messed up, or man, this place is messed up. (laughs) Let me remind you one more time. You are the people of God. You are the family of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ, and he loves his bride. So when you leave today, I want you to take that little piece of paper home, if that's all right. Stick it in your car, stick it in your pocket, stick it on your mirror. And would you just commit to laboring in prayer on behalf of that person, whoever they are, that God would help them to discover the joy of being fully known and fully loved fully alive in community like he made them for. And I also want you to know that our prayer team is gonna be gathering around the edges of the room like they always are. They don't have green lanyards anymore. They have these cool glowing lanyards. They're awesome in the dark. So they're easy to find. And if you felt a nudge like, yeah, I just, I need to take a step today. Whatever step it is. If there's somebody in your life that you wanna pray for, if there's a need in your life that you wanna pray for, if you just need to talk to somebody, if you need to rededicate and say, man, I've been wandering for a little while, it's time for me to refocus. Or if you needed to surrender to your king for the very first time today, please don't leave this room. Today is the day of salvation. We're ready for you. Just look for the glowing necklace. We're a family with blood on the pews. And the blood that binds this place together is the blood of our good shepherd who laid down his life for us. So would you join me in reading these words out loud? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep Have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And all God's people said.